All right, so today and next week, we're going to be finishing up with our series called Prayers That Made a Difference. And then the following week, we're going to begin a new series called Love Reigns. And it's based on the scripture in John 15, 13, which which says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. So Easter will be love reigns. And then the week after that will be love reigns over your past. And then love reigns over your present. And then love reigns over your future. And so I want to ask you for just a little bit of help with this. All of you, when you came in this morning, received a card that looks like this. It's an invitation card for Easter and for this series. And would you be willing to take this card and pray over it? Maybe ask God, is there somebody in your life that he would have you give this card to? Maybe invite to our Easter services or one of these other services as well. And then would you also go online on our Facebook page? We have a Love Reigns event that we created. And would you be willing to... uh, Put that on your page and maybe share it with some of your friends as well. And that way um, we can spread the love and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout our community. All right. Now, today's message, as you know, we are continuing in this series entitled Prayers That Made a Difference. And in this series, we've been looking at people in the Bible who prayed important prayers at key moments of time that moved the hand of God and made a difference in their situation. We've looked at Elijah. We've looked at David's powerful prayer of repentance. We looked at Habakkuk's powerful prayer of embracing God in the struggle. And then we began to look at some things in the Bible that God says we should talk to him about, like uh, wisdom, asking for wisdom and guidance and direction, and about sending workers into the harvest field, and about how to pray for your pastors and missionaries, and how to pray when you're in trouble, and how to pray for others who are in trouble. And all of this is designed to help you, right? To encourage you uh, to have a deeper, more meaningful prayer life with God. And so I hope that you've been finding that to be true in your life, that you've been having some deeper, more meaningful times of prayer with God. And so today, we're going to look at a man who had God's calling on his life, but who had failed who struggled with his past, whose past had locked him up into a prison, who had locked up his present. A man who struggled with the idea that God wanted to use him or could use him or would use him. And a man who just wanted to bury the past and be left alone in his misery. And we're going to look at this conversation that God had with this man. An uncomfortable conversation or prayer, if you will, between God and this man. His name is Moses. And this powerful and uncomfortable conversation and prayer is found in Exodus chapter 3. But before we go there, we're going to start in the book of Acts chapter 7 because there's some really important background information about Moses there that will help us understand what's really going on in Exodus chapter 3. And so here in Acts chapter 7, Stephen has been talking with the Sanhedrin, and he's kind of giving them a a history lesson, a redemption history lesson. He's talked about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and how the Israelites had multiplied greatly in Egypt. And in verse 17, he says this. It says, As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt increased greatly. And that phrase, as the time drew near. It tells me that God is getting ready to act. 
God is getting ready to do something. Our God is a God of action. He always has a plan, right? It may not always seem that way. Sometimes we need to be patient with God. We need to wait on God's plan to unfold. But God always has something um, that he's working on, always has a plan. Jesus said it this way. He said, my father is always working to this very day, and I too am working. God always has a plan. And so the time is drawing near. He's getting ready to do something about his plan. And so in verse 20, it says this. It says, At that time, Moses was born. God had a plan for Moses. And it wasn't just some random occurrence that he was born. It wasn't happenstance or just dumb luck, right? God had a purpose. Moses was born during a time of tremendous trial for God's people. I mean, they were slaves. They were being beaten and abused and mistreated. The Egyptians feared them and treated them uh, harshly to keep them down. And to make matters worse... One of the ways they tried to keep them down was by killing all of the Hebrew boys by throwing them into the Nile River. And so this is a terrible time for Moses to be born into. But God had a plan for Moses. And if I can be so bold as to say, God has a plan for you as well. You're not just an accident. You're not just some happenstance. The psalmist says that, that God knits you together in your mother's womb, that he saw you in the secret place when you were being formed. It says that he sees you when you lie down, when you get up, when you walk along the way. He hears everything you say. God sees you. God's got a plan for you. And God's plan for Moses was not for him to die in the Nile River. Going on in verse 21, it says this. It says, when he had... When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. Now, you can find the whole story about this in Exodus chapter 2. But I want you to notice this about Moses from these verses. First, he was brought up in royalty. He became the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was a prince in Egypt. So he had every advantage in life. And then next, notice it also says he was well-educated. He went to the best schools. He would have went to the Harvard and the Oxford of, of Egypt. Educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And then notice this. It says that he was powerful in speech and action. That is, he had a commanding personality. When he talked, people would listen. He was persuasive, a man of action. He was the kind of person that, that people would follow and listen to. And going on, there are some amazing things in these next verses. Look at verse 23. It says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people. And so Moses still identifies as an Israelite. And this is really amazing. When, when, when Pharaoh's daughter found Moses, right, she set up this arrangement with Moses' mother that, that, that she would be paid to nurse him until he was weaned and then would become this son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, in that day, that would have taken probably two, maybe three years uh, to, to be weaned. And so Moses', Moses mother had two or three years to train him, to teach him about the covenant of Abraham and everything that God uh, was going to do for his people, to train him in that. And then the rest of his formative years would be spent in Egyptian schools and in Egyptian culture. And so it's really remarkable that after all of that, by the time he's 40, he still identifies as a Hebrew. He's going to see his own people. Going on in verse 24, it says, He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. 
All right? So not only does he identify as a Hebrew, he's moved by their plight. He's moved when he sees them being mistreated. And then in verse 25, it says something else amazing. It's not, um, it's not in the account in Exodus, but it's right here. Stephen, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, gives us some insight into what is going on in Moses' mind when he kills the Egyptian. Verse 25, it says, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. Now this, I mean, this is really surprising and astonishing. I mean, not, not only does he identify as a Hebrew, not only does he have compassion on them, but here he demonstrates some level of understanding of God's call on his life, of God's purpose on his life to rescue the Israelites from the Egyptians. He views himself as the person who will rescue them. And the fact that he took action suggests that he had an acceptance of those purposes. But unfortunately for Moses, the killing of the Egyptian was not really a part of God's plan. And it was a serious misstep on Moses' part. And as the story continues, you see that, that Pharaoh found out about it, and he wanted to have Moses killed. And so Moses had to flee to the wilderness. Verse 29, it says, When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner, and he had two sons. He tried to accomplish God's purposes in his own ability, in his own power, in the flesh. How many of you know that you don't accomplish God's purposes in the flesh, in the sinful nature? You accomplish God's purposes by walking in the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit. Not by might and not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. But Moses here, he tried to accomplish God's purposes using his own abilities in the, in the power of the flesh. And, you know, he may have thought like, you know, hey, I'm royalty. I'm an important person here. I'm, I'm a prince. I can do what I want. You know, I can make this happen. If I want the Israelites to be free, they'll be free. If I want this Egyptian to be dead, he's going to be dead, right? But it wasn't God's way. And Pharaoh was having none of it. And it resulted in tragedy. God's plans cannot be accomplished in fleshly, sinful ways. Only in the Spirit. And when you try to accomplish God's plans in the flesh, it can often result in tragedy. And that's what happened with Moses here. His life came crashing down around them. He had every advantage. He's royalty. He has the best education. He has power. And even some archaeologists um, say that the Pharaoh of this time uh, didn't have a son. And so this son of Pharaoh's daughter uh, was possibly in line to become the next Pharaoh. But now all of that is lost. He's living in the desert. He's a shepherd. He's married to a shepherdess. He, he's gone from the royal courts to tending sheep in the desert. And so at this point in his life, the dreams are dead. As far as he's concerned, they're never going to happen. And, and another 40 years passes in the desert. In the dreams, these purposes, they keep getting buried deeper and deeper in the desert sands. Until one day, God shows up. How many of you like it when God shows up? God shows up in Moses' lives. You know, um, failure doesn't have to be final. Even if you feel like you've messed up and, and you've ruined something, 
and you feel like uh, uh, everything you expected is ruined and you're on the backside of the desert tending sheep somewhere, even then God is not through with you. God is able to find you where you are and, and redeem your situation. So one day, God just shows up here in Moses' life, and the account is in Exodus chapter 3. Let's start at the end of chapter 2. We'll get a running start. It says this, in verses 23 to 25. It says, During that long period of time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. All right, so so God's about to have a chat with Moses in the next verses, and, and I include these verses here to show you that This chat, it's more than just about whatever is going on in Moses' life at that time. God's purposes are much broader than that. He's intending to bless a whole bunch of people who are suffering. I mean, this is way bigger than Moses. Can I tell you, sometimes it's really easy to just get focused on everything that's just going on in in your life. Everything that's going on around us and, and feel like, you know, the world is revolving around us and our problems and how, and how we feel. Well, I have a newsflash for you. Can I tell you, some of you may be shocked by this. You are not the center of the universe. All right? The world is not revolving around you. And so understand God's purposes in your life. They're bigger than just what's going on around you. God may have some plans in your life to bless others around you through you, to bless your family, to bless your children, to bless your parents, to bless your co-workers, to bless the body of Christ, to bless the community. God's got bigger plans for you. So let's continue on and see where this goes with Moses. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. All right, so just another day here, tending sheep in the desert, when all of a sudden it says in verse 2, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. Now, aren't you amazed at how, how, how many ways God has of getting our attention? I mean, you look in the scriptures when, when God appeared to people and, and got their attention. It seems like he never does it the same way twice, right? And so God knows what he needs to do to get our attention. In verse 3, it says, So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush doesn't burn up. Now, many of us probably would have looked at it and said, You know what? That is not right. Um, I don't know what's going on over there, but I'm going the other way. But for Moses, apparently that's what he needed. He sees this bush. He's like, i got to go see what's, what's happening here with this. And then in verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him, called to him from within the bush. He said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. And so God here initiates a conversation with Moses. He's got some things that he wants to talk to Moses about. Now, Moses wasn't planning on talking to God about any of these things that day, but God decides to initiate a conversation with Moses. And, and you know, some of the most powerful 
conversations and prayers that we see in scriptures came when God initiated something with a person. Not when the person decided to initiate some, something with God. Right? Sometimes it's when God initiates a conversation with us. Remember Jacob a couple of weeks ago when he was going back to meet Esau and he went across that stream. He thought everything was done for the day. Right? He thought he had his plan. He's going to just watch to see uh, if Esau attacks one or other of the camps, and then he's going to run with the other one. But God said, no, that's not the end of everything. And it says that God came and began wrestling with him. And out of that came one of the most powerful prayers in the Bible. I will not let you go unless you bless me. You know, how many of us have ever been praying about one thing? You know, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just starts to talk to you about something else. I mean, I've had that. I'm praying about something over here, and the Holy Spirit just starts to talk to me about something else, you know, maybe from the Scriptures or something. And, uh, and I'm like, God, I'm not talking to you about that. And he's like, well, that's what I'm talking to you about. And it turns into something powerful, right? And um, Jesus used to do this all the time with the disciples. They'd be talking about something. They'd be walking along the way, and, and they'd be arguing about who is the greatest. And, and Jesus would just join the conversation and say something like, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. You know, and they're all like, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Jesus, what, what, what are you talking about? We weren't talking about that. What does he mean, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees? And someone says, well, oh, I know. It's because well, I bet you we forgot bread. Peter, did you forget to bring the bread again? Right? And they think that's what it's about. But Jesus is like, you know, you guys are talking about the wrong things. You're focused on the wrong things. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit comes along and just tells us, you know, you're focusing on the wrong things. You're talking about the wrong things. Here's the thing I really want to talk to you about. And so God initiates this conversation with Moses. He goes on saying this in verse 6. He says, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So God reveals who it is who's talking to him. And Moses, of course, has the good sense to then cover his face. And going on, God's got here what appears to be, on the face of it, some really Really good news. Look at it. Verses 7, beginning in verse 7. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. All right, now this is great, right? I mean, God sees, God hears them, and he's concerned about them. Going on, verse 8, he says, So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And you know what? That's even better. I mean, God's not only seen them and heard them and is concerned about him, but now he says that he's going to do something about it. And, that, and that's good news. That's great. And, and look at all of this great stuff it says that God wants to do. This is, I mean, this is way more than Moses had in mind when he killed that Egyptian, right? I mean, think about it. What would have happened if God let Moses succeed the first time when he killed the Egyptian and, and let Moses succeed in, in, in rescuing his people? Well, first off, God would have received no glory for it. Moses likely would have gotten all the glory for all of that. Who knows, but that um, he may have uh, begun to oppress the Egyptians, to become proud in his heart, and I mean, oppress the Egyptians. I mean, he already had murdered one of them. I mean, so he had that capacity in him. 
And Israel might have become a great nation inside of Egypt, and they would have kept on worshiping false gods, and and they never would have had this covenant relationship. None of that would have materialized. They wouldn't have been in the promised land, right? And all of this uh, stuff would have just not happened. Moses' plan involved freedom for the Israelites, and that was about it. And And that's a great goal, right? But God's plan involved freedom from bondage, but it also involved emancipation from Egypt entirely and an abundant land of their own and a worship and a covenant relationship with uh, the Lord God Almighty that would go on for generations and generations. God has way more in mind than Moses had. And then going on, it gets even better. God says in verse 10, he says, so now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So he's saying, good news, Moses. You know what? I'm going to do all this great stuff, all the things that you would imagine, and even more. And I'm going to come and do them. And you're the one. I'm sending you. Uh, I'm going to do it all through you. And that vision, that belief that you had uh, before about that, that God was going to use you to rescue uh, your fellow Israelites, well, all of that was true. It was all real. You just went about it the wrong way. And now, you know, I, I know you feel like you've made some mistakes, but, but now I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be the one that, that does it. You've still got a purpose. You've still got a plan, right? You're right in the center of it. God is renewing the call on Moses' life. And it's at this point that God loses Moses' attention. Because from here on in, Moses just keeps on interrupting God. I mean, it reads like God just wanted to, to download the whole plan to him, and Moses is supposed to say, well, here I am, yes, yeah, send me. But God keeps interrupting him the entire time. Moses is not down with this plan, right? There's some things going on in his heart. So let's look at it. And, and God here, I mean, he's having a difficult conversation with Moses, an uncomfortable conversation. Verse 11, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses is like, whoa, whoa, God, hold up for a second. You know, I didn't sign up for this. I've already been there and done that, and I got the T-shirt. You know, I tried it once before when I was somebody. When I was somebody important, God, I already tried this, and it failed. I was a powerful prince, and that failed. Now I'm nobody. Nobody knows me back there. I don't have any influence back there. And you want me to march to Pharaoh, to, into Pharaoh's court and say, hey, hey, hi. Um, hey, listen, I'm here. Just wanted to let you know I'm here. And I'm going to be leaving with the Israelites, right? I mean, I, I see you're busy, you know, over there and all that type of thing. And so um, I'll just let myself out and I'll go get them and, and we'll be going, right? And, and Moses is like, you know, I don't think so. I mean, who am I that I should go back and do that? I'm a nobody. And God replies in verse 12, he says, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. You, When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So God essentially says to Moses, you know, it's not about you. It's about me. I'm the one who's going to do it. Last time it was all you. This time it's going to be all me. I'm, I'm going to be one that's actually doing it. You're just representing me. And the result won't be the same either. This time the people will be freed. And they will worship me right here on this mountain. Right where you're standing, the people are going to worship me. So, no problem, God says. I'm going to be with you. 
And you know what? That probably should have been enough for Moses, right? But it's not. He has another objection. Verse 13. It says, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And now, this is the authority question. You know, God, just suppose, for the sake of argument, all right, that I, that I go, and I say, hey, good news, God wants to set you free and, uh, and bring you to worship him. He's got great plans for you. Well, then that's you're going to want to know on whose authority I'm saying this. You know, I tried it on my own authority, and it didn't work, right? So on whose authority? And I love God's response to this in verse 14. It says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so here God reveals his name, his personal name to Moses. This is God's intimate name, the name that he has for himself. It's Yahweh. God had not revealed this name to anyone before this. A couple chapters later, God says to Moses, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name Yahweh, I did not make myself fully known to them. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and and all the other Israelites still sitting in Egypt, they didn't know God by this name. So this is new. It's a deeper understanding of God than was ever given before. And its meaning, it's simply the Hebrew word for to be. I am. Tell them I am sent uh, you to them. Tell them to be sent you to them. I mean, how is it possible to understand someone who just is for all eternity, never having had a beginning? And it leads us, this name for God, Yahweh, leads us to this reverent and awe-inspired worship as we consider how mysterious and transcendent and holy other God is. As much as God reveals himself um, to us and who he is, he's majestic, he's all-powerful, he's almighty, he's all-knowing, still there's so much that we'll never understand about who God is. Um, the Apostle Paul said it this way, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. And so this is new. There's, there's so much revelation that Moses is receiving in this conversation with God. And, uh, but there's even more here. Something else I want you to see in this passage. In the next verse, verse 15, it says this. He said, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And so the setting here that God chooses to reveal his name is striking. I mean, think about it. I mean, to the natural mind, it almost seems a little contradictory to his purposes. I mean, he said that he, he wants everybody from here on out to know him by this name. He wants to be remembered by this name from generation to generation. He seems to desire that a large number of people from that point forward know him by this name. And yet when he reveals it for the first time, the only one there to hear it is this 80-year-old has-been rerun uh, shepherd who's uh, been there and done that and got the T-shirt that uh, he didn't speak very well and people didn't really want to listen to him before anyway. And so where's the crowd? 
I mean, if you're going to reveal this name that you want everybody to know from here on out, why not gather this huge crowd of people? Maybe dazzle them with, uh, with, with, with some miracles, right? And uh, maybe boom the name from heaven so everybody hears it. And then, and then they can go throughout the earth and carry that name to all the peoples, right? Why not do it that way? But instead, God announces his name the first time. And the only one to hear it is this washed up shepherd who's been there and done that. And, and maybe a few sheep off to the side here chewing on some grass. You know, God has kind of a different way about him, don't you think? I mean, he loves to reveal himself first quietly to those who sincerely desire him. I mean, think about Mary and Joseph, right? I mean, why not announce the birth of Jesus with trumpets in Jerusalem to everybody? Hey, the Messiah is being born, but no announcement is made except to Mary and Joseph and to a few shepherds and wise men. And then when Jesus is raised from the dead, he showed himself to those who had already believed in him prior to his death. And so these 500 or so who had previously worshipped him were counted worthy of a post-resurrection appearance. And others would have ample testimony of the living Jesus through the work and through the miracles and signs of wonders that God did through these 500 people and then beyond. So God reveals his most intimate name here to just one man. But here we are thousands of years later. And that name has gone throughout the earth, generation to generation, billions of people have known God by this name, Yahweh. And so by now in this story, I mean, this is already an amazing conversation that God is having with Moses. He, God's revealed this stuff uh, that he's going to do for his people. He's, he's revealed some deep hidden stuff to Moses. It's really incredible. And in the next several verses, God goes on to give more details about what he's going to do and how all of this is going to go down. He reveals more of the plan to him. And you would think at this point that Moses would be all on board. I mean, the burning bush, the voice of God, the promise of deliverance, deep knowledge of who God is, right? But look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not send you. Yahweh did not send you or appear to you. Now, I've got to stop here and ask, like, what is going on here? I mean, God has revealed so much to him. What is this all about? Well, this phrase here, this objection here, looks to me like it's the sting of failure. The sting of past failure rearing its ugly head. I mean, this had happened before. Remember, um, it says that the last time, he thought that they would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but, 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 but they did not. They rejected him. This happened before, so he's asking, you know, why would they believe me now? They didn't believe me the last time. And so it seems like he'd rather avoid the possibility of that rejection again. I don't want to go there and have them say to me, you know, who made you judge over us? And then maybe have them turn me over to Pharaoh. And so God then gives them three signs that he can show them, the Israelite leaders, to prove that God really did send him. But still, even that's not enough. Verse 10, he says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Okay, now, now this is really just getting insulting, I think. I mean, first off, it's not even true, right? The account in Acts tells us that he was mighty in speech and mighty in action. 
But more importantly, throughout this entire encounter, God has been telling you, you know, it's not about you. It's about me. It's not about what you can do. It's about what I'm going to do. It's not about what you think you can't do. It's about what I am about to do right now. And in all of it, it's all about God and what he's going to do. And after all of that, for Moses to act as though this entire operation is dependent on how he can speak, I mean, well, that's just a little bit insulting, I think. And the problem is that Moses' past has locked up his present. He can't experience the freedom that God has for him right now because he's still locked up in that moment in time. His past has locked up his present. He's being defined by his past. And that's a problem because that's at odds with what God wants right now for his present. And so God continues to answer him. And it sounds here like a little bit like God's beginning to get a little bit impatient. He says, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. All right, so once again, it's all about God. God's going to come through with everything that's needed. But still, Moses is not on board. Look at verse 13. It says, but Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. God, please just send someone else. He's finally honest here. He's just saying, you know, I I just don't want to go. No more excuses. No more pretenses. God's answered every objection. And, you know, God will do that in your life, by the way. To get to the root of the problem, to get to the heart of the issue. When, you know, when God initiates something with you, when God initiates something he's wanting to do in your life, when he initiates a, uh, a difficult conversation, an uncomfortable conversation with you, you know, you can throw up all the excuses you want. This and that and the other thing, God, and that type of thing. And God's just going to get past all of those things, every excuse that you throw up and you keep um, thinking that, you know, well, this will distract God or that'll distract God, right? He's just going to get past all of those excuses and get to the root of the problem. And then it's just going to be you and God. It's his will and your problem. And are you going to submit to him and trust him and move forward with him and trust him to take care of all your situations? God's going to get past all of that and get to the root of the issue. Eventually, that's the only question that's left. And so here's what this story boils down to today. Are you willing to have the hard conversation with God? Are you willing to have the uncomfortable conversation with God? The conversation that that God wants to have with you. Maybe the one that you've been avoiding and putting off for a while. You know, God, I love to talk to you about all of these things over here, all of these areas, but there's this one thing over here, God, I just don't want to talk to you about that. You know, God, I've surrendered all of these areas of my life over here, and we can talk all about that, and, and you can be Lord over all of these areas of the life. I've just got this one area over here that, that I just want to be in charge of, God, and I don't want you to talk to me about, about that thing over there. But God wants to talk to you about it. And you may want to avoid it because it's uncomfortable, right? I mean, Moses was uncomfortable. I mean, it looks like in this passage that he was really squirming. Like he would have done anything he could 
to extricate himself from this situation and from this conversation. But here's the thing. Everything that came afterwards in Moses' life, everything that we know Moses for, the confrontation with Pharaoh, the plagues, the Passover, the emancipation from Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, the Ten Commandments, the covenant, the birth of a new nation. None of those things would have been possible without this difficult and uncomfortable conversation. All of those things came after this difficult and uncomfortable conversation. And, you know, when God's having an uncomfortable conversation with you, you know, it's not because he likes making you uncomfortable. It's not because he likes making you squirm or anything like that. It's because he sees a destiny for you. He sees the best version of you that you can be. He sees his plan for your life and the amazing things that he can do through your life. And, and he sees the thing that that area is blocking, the stuff that that area is blocking. And he sees that uh, a greater potential and a greater fulfillment of his purposes in your life. That's what the uncomfortable conversation is like. Would you all bow with me in prayer as we close this service? Heavenly Father, thank you that you have conversations with us. God, it's a privilege to talk with you, to pray with you, God. And God, thank you for those times where you just come to us and you start to talk to us about something, about some area, some situation in our lives, God. And God, I pray this morning for those who are maybe struggling with some area, here where you want to have a conversation. Maybe um, those who are listening, they could name the thing right now. So yeah, that's the thing that God wants to talk to me about. God, I pray that you'd pour out your grace and your favor, enable your people, God, to, to surrender that thing to you, to have that conversation with you, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.